0: And welcome everyone to the Cajun Strong Style Podcast, 103.7 Game's exclusive pro wrestling podcast. Appreciate you listening in, however you're doing. So be it through 103.7 Game.com, the free 103.7 Game mobile app, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, and any other way. Because there's about a bajillion ways to consume your favorite podcast in 2021. We appreciate you choosing this as your place to go when it comes to the sport of professional wrestling. And, you know, it's definitely been a busy week and I'd say it's been a legend wait for it, Dairy Week in the sport of pro wrestling. So let's get into it right now with the three counts. And we started things off with the big story that many people in the WWE were wondering about, Damian Priest and the planned call-up. This comes from Dave Meltzer on Wrestling Observer Radio. He said, quote, they had decided with this idea of we need to make stars on SmackDown, but we've ruined everyone on SmackDown. I don't think that anyone actually says that they've ruined everyone on SmackDown, but it looks like inherent, you know? And we need new baby Babyface stars. We all knew that. Some, so it was kind of like somebody asked, who can be the next new Babyface to come on the main roster? And this guy that was in the meeting was Damian Priest. So they had a story that was supposed to be Damian Priest is Kevin Owens' best friend, and he's helping him against Roman Reigns and Jey Uso. In fact, they were going to do a tag match on the show Friday night, according to the report. And Damian Priest is there and ready and all that. And Kevin Owens essentially says, it made no sense for him to be my best friend. What do we have in common? Why would he be my best friend? And Roman Reigns agreed, and since it's Roman Reigns, the idea was nixed. Definitely feels like maybe a little bit of backstage politics to get that thing all altogether, but I'm interested to see how that could be and how you would be able to debut a guy like Damian Priest, the former NXT North American champion who just came off a really good match on NXT. i not really going to talk that much about that match because there was some other stuff worth mentioning from NXT on Wednesday night, New Year's Evil was pretty darn good, but Damian Priest should definitely be a guy that gets called up and is involved in a big push. It made sense not to have him involved in this, because it, it's there's no motivation. It's not like, oh, hey, you know, these two were tag team partners or did a tag team match in the Indies back in the day. No, they're two very different characters, so it makes sense not to kind of lump them in that kind of situation. I think that was the best case scenario for all parties involved. Looking at Ring of Honor, big news coming out of the company. They've been re-signing a lot of guys. One that hasn't signed, at least not yet, is Dalton Castle. He's officially a free agent, according to Wrestling Inc. And Dalton signed with ROH back in 2013. Also wound up winning the ROH World Championship back in 2017, beating Cody Rhodes. So now he's free to sign and appear for any company that he wishes for. Obviously, right now, it's not necessarily the best time to even pull off going to all these independent promotions, but it's it's interesting to see how this is going to go. And from the sources, it's said to be was a good deal that ROH offered Castle, but he's considering the offer, but he also wants to see what else is out there. Could it be WWE, AEW, New Japan, whatever. But as of now, he's a free agent. But I think as of right now, if Dalton Castle does come back, I, I wouldn't be surprised if he comes back considering everything that's been going on with Ring of Honor, re-signing a lot of guys. And finally... Addressing stuff from like six months ago and saying, "Hey, you know, we're gonna go ahead and send off Marty Skrull, and he'll never be part of this company again." Finally, acknowledging, "Hey, we got we're parting ways with Marty Skrull six months after all, all the allegations came out." But that's a different conversation for a different day. And the final bit of news is kind of going back to September. This is coming from Nick Jackson, one of the AEW World Tag Team Champions, saying that he contracted the COVID nineteen virus back in September. And he basically called him out on the Instagram story saying, quote, crazy thing, think there's still COVID deniers out there in this world, probably throwing a little bit of shade at Flip Gordon in the process. I had a pretty bad case of COVID in early September that kept him bedridden for nearly three weeks. He couldn't taste or smell for about two and a half months. And at one point, his whole body had highs on it. His doctor said it was definitely from COVID, end quote. And he also revealed that his brother had to carry most of the load during their matches after he had returned. And Basically, it was kind of just the fact that his cardio wasn't necessarily there because he couldn't catch his breath. And his cardio is finally back, but it took months to finally feel like himself again. And he ended it by saying, let's protect each other and wear a mask. And it's just absolutely ridiculous that people are still denying this thing after all that we've learned about it over the last almost a year since it's really kind of become part of our everyday life is avoiding this pandemic. And it's interesting to see how this is going to affect pro wrestling in 2021 as we progress past the month of January into February and once we get towards that one year mark of March 11th, 2020. Now let's get some questions from the listeners because I think that's really fun and I've always wanted to do that. I always try and drop these questions. I don't get many from people, but I always get one almost guaranteed when I throw this question out there on Twitter, you can follow me at Clinton Domang or Cajun Strong Style. It's C-A-G-N Strong Style because, well, apparently Cajun Strong Style, all one word, was too long for the WWE, for Twitter, I should say, to allow on their platform. I don't get it. Whatever. Then we get to Cajun Packer. He tweeted this out on me. Which event is better and why? Royal Rumble or WrestleMania? I've got some very pointed thoughts about this. i got to say it is, without a doubt for me, WrestleMania. And I'll tell you why. It's because WrestleMania is always going to be the biggest show of the year. It's the big payoff towards all these storylines. Yes, you can say the Royal Rumble is the official start of WrestleMania season, and all the storylines from there really build and hit a crescendo with WrestleMania. I think, honestly, for me... Of the big four, I'd probably say SummerSlam and WrestleMania are my top two. I can alternate from day to day which ones are my absolute favorite. But it's more the fact that of all the big fours, it is your resolution part of the plot, if you will. If we're going to talk about when you read different novels or see movies you always want to have the payoff and the blow-off and see how this thing goes. Obviously, if you're having a different type, especially a three-act arc, let's say, because most movies, especially action, superhero movies and stuff, they follow like a three-act play. You have the beginning, the middle, the end. For the most part, WrestleMania is always the end game. It's always that final moment before everything gets reset, we get new storylines, and things move in a different direction. And that's what I think the WrestleMania is. The Royal Rumble is always the Act one, you introduce all these storylines and then you really build towards it and you hit the crescendo in late April or early April, I should say, late March, early April. I like WrestleMania because it's always guaranteed to have a blow off. You won't see many storylines like continue past this date. And that's the way it should be. You should always have that conflict resolution and have a payoff. For the most part, SummerSlam always has like a blow off and you see a bigger angle come to an end. So I think the way they book out WrestleMania is why I like WrestleMania better because you can have the chase but I think at the end of the day it's WrestleMania it's the showcase of the Immortals you see all these great main events and all these great matches and you always leave the show whether you're there or watching at home you are watching it and you feel a certain way. You absolutely love the fact that you got to see this thing come to its own resolution. And when it does, I mean, look at Kofi Mania, WrestleMania 35, Daniel Bryan, WrestleMania 30. Those were, without a doubt, some of the biggest moments in pro wrestling history. And you just sat there and you felt great. Yes, you saw The Undertaker lose his undefeated streak at 30, but you remember more about WrestleMania 30 ending with Daniel Bryan, hoisting both belts. You remember that and you always Sit here and say that. You won't necessarily remember, hey, you know, the Royal Rumble matches. You won't remember what happened at the Royal Rumble, and those won't be like entirely super memorable. Outside of last year with Edge's return, do you truly remember how good or bad that match was? How good or bad that show was? Not necessarily. I just always think WrestleMania is your biggest show of the year, and it takes a lot of precedence. I could probably say it's that and SummerSlam are two of my favorites because there's always conflict that gets resolved during this, and then we reset, and we go into different storylines going forward. Sure, there's some exceptions to the rule with SummerSlam, but for the most part, I like those just a little bit more. Now let's get to some stuff involving the sport of pro wrestling, and let's start with Legends Night. How much it sucked. First off, I didn't see much of it because I was busy, you know, want to enjoy a good, you know, Monday night, the first Monday without football, and it was Legends night. I was like, okay, I'll, I'll watch a little bit of it. I won't watch the whole thing because it just felt like, for the most part, it was your typical fair where you have Hulk Hogan show up, and he does his thing. Ric Flair is there. Ric Flair botched a finish during the show, during the women's tag team match with, so it was the... Like, it was really weird to see that match come to an end the way that it did with the women's tag team match. And, like, basically, Charlotte Flair got tripped up by Rick whenever it was supposed to be the other way around. And Peyton Royce was supposed to. And apparently just Rick forgot the finish for one reason or another. And it was just a complete disaster from Jump Street. And it was just overall disappointing to see that. But I love how Charlotte handled that like a professional and was able to make this lemonade. lemon into Lemonade and at least have fun with it and just basically say, like, Rick, stay out of my damn business. It was so good to see that. And it made you think that that may have actually been a, a thing, an angle that they were running, but instead it was a botch that they wound up turning into a bit of a positive. So more power to start a flare for turning that thing around and making a really crappy situation a little bit better. And then we also saw at the main event of the night – by the way, Drew McIntyre and Keith Lee put on an absolute master class type of match where you had like, Keith Lee hitting a Spanish fly off the top rope on McIntyre was something I never thought I'd see. and It was the first show of 2021. So yeah, 2021 looks to be off to a very fast and furious start. And then like you saw McIntyre retain. No surprise there. You weren't going to see a title change hands on there. It's not the Monday Night Wars anymore. But it was a damn good match. And I think that was probably one of my favorites of the week Outside of, obviously, everything that was going on with New Japan, but just in terms of Western wrestling, this was pretty damn good. I think people should think of that as a great main event for Monday Night Raw. Then we get to Goldberg, somebody who I, full disclosure, I was a big Goldberg mark back in the day. Back when I was growing up, that was the guy. Love Goldberg. But it's time for him to go hit down the road. I just was immediately sitting here in my house watching Monday Night Raw. All of a sudden, Goldberg comes out, and he decides to come out to challenge Drew McIntyre at the Royal Rumble. Like, right when he came out, I'm like, no, no, what are we doing? Why are we continuing to have Goldberg pushed straight, boom, to the moon? I'm just like, come on, man. I cannot be dealing with this in my life. This was not good. This was a bad look for the WWE. And I just sat there like, really? Did they actually think this through and say, hey, this was the right way to go about it? And Goldberg returning, and it made him look like a complete goof. Because the whole night you had Randy Orton basically talk trash to every single legend that was there. Mark Henry, the list can all show long. He was messing with all the legends, talking all kinds of mess about them. And then you like you go to McIntyre and say, hey, you've been disrespecting the legends even disrespectful, son. That's the exact opposite of what Drew McIntyre has done. He's never said a bad thing. Never really said anything about the legends. But it was like, what the hell? Like, why did they have to do it that way? And then you end it with, in the most weird way possible, where Goldberg just pushes McIntyre, and then they go off the air. Like, the second McIntyre's butt hit the damn, damn apron, the mat. They went off the air and switched over to reruns of whatever. I don't remember what it was. I don't care what happened after 10 o'clock on USA Network. I probably switched it back to Sports Center or something. I don't know. But it was a ending that just made you wonder, like, what are they trying to do? You basically spent the last, I'd say, six months to a year building up McIntyre as probably one of your top two guys, I'd say behind Roman Reigns. But you sat there. And said, hey, let's go ahead and put him in a match with McIntyre and make him look like a geek on national television by pushing him down as he goes air instead of him getting back up and kind of getting his comeback and getting some heat back. Because it made him look like a goof getting pushed down by Goldberg with, like, incredible ease. And there's no point of, like, why I'm sitting here and I'm watching. I'm like, okay, Goldberg's in it. If Goldberg goes over, I'm just going to be so absolutely... Like, apoplectic on this show. I'll be absolutely apoplectic on this show. The night after the Royal Rumble, if that happens. Hopefully it doesn't. But it was such a bad look. And it made Legends Night overall kind of suck. I mean, you had, like, moments with Melina and Angel Garza. More power to him for actually being able to still be on TV. Andrade, where the hell is he at I understand they're probably going to eventually pair him up with Charlotte Flair after this whole Charlotte Oscar thing finally ends, which I'm waiting for to actually do come to it. Not because I don't want to see it. It's more because I'm just waiting for the inevitable turn. Like, we know Charlotte's turning heel at the end of all this. Like, why do we have to do this, like, Ms. Shane McMahon type thing that we saw a couple years ago? Why do we have to do this? We could just get straight to the point. And it was weird. And Legend of Night kind of it was on the whole, sucked. You had moments that were somewhat funny, but you weren't truly, like, popping for every single moment, like maybe in the past. And I just sat there, I'm like, really? This is what they did? This is what they did for the first show of the year? But it got great numbers, so apparently I just don't know what's good. But I do know that AEW Dynamite was fantastic, and it's more about the main event. I'll say this: I did love the fact that they did a weigh-in with Darby Allen and Brian Cage because it speaks to what makes that feud good. The David versus Goliath. You're literally, you're literally putting numbers on what kind of match this is going to be, and putting a number on why you should care about Darby versus Brian Cage because it's the David versus Goliath. He's over like Cage is 110 pounds heavier. Then your boy Darby Allen. So I love that. That was a great part of the show. Snoop Dogg's Frog Splash, eh, you know. He needed more work done on that. He needed he needed to not do that. It was funny. And the memes for this have been hilarious, but it's like, you know, did I really need to see like Snoop Dogg in a ring pinning Serpentigo? I don't think I needed that. But whatever. But on an unrelated AEW note, I didn't bring this up in the three count, but I should have. Apparently, Jungle Boy has, like, AEW bought the rights to Tarzan Boy by Baltimore. And they had it on Dark, and I immediately, like, was texting everybody that I knew that watches AEW. And I was like, they, they got Tarzan Boy. Like, that was something I've been waiting for them to do. And now, can we just get Luchasaurus come out to Was Not Was, Walk the Dinosaur? I'm just going to go ahead and throw that out there and then bring up the main event of... Dynamite was Kenny Omega taking on Ray Phoenix and if you haven't seen this match yet go do it, get out of your way and go watch this, it is without a doubt probably one of the best TV matches we have ever seen top to bottom, just a banger match, start to finish and Phoenix lost Kenny Omega retains but it's all about what happened afterwards with Kenny Omega absolutely waylaying you know Phoenix and Pentagon and crew being held up by the fam. Again, love those kind of angles where you just have different things kind of intersecting to make sure nobody gets in the way. But, of course, the Bullet Club is back together again, or as they call it, the band is back together. And I love the fact they're doing this in 2021. I just sat there. I'm like, this is what we all wanted. We saw Kenny and Gallows and Anderson get together on Impact. All of a sudden gals in here show up with the impact tag team titles. That's how you make this like whole invasion angle or whatever you want to call it work. Having them come back together and, and beat up on Phoenix and everybody else, and people just jump in the ring, and that was so damn cool. And it was just, it's different, it's interesting, and it was just pure blooded chaos. That was something I loved about how pro wrestling was back when I was growing up, where you did not know, you didn't you expected the unexpected. And what it happened, it was like, "Holy crap, this rules!" And then you see the Young Bucks come out, and it was a weird way to go about it with the with only one of them super kicking, and the other, and basically, um, uh, Luke Gallows helped out taking out Griff Garrison and Brian Pillman Jr. But it worked in a certain way because you could have just had both Gallows and Anderson and hit him, and then the Young Bucks basically do the two sweet. The, the fact that at least one of them go against AEW. It was perfect and it just felt right. And it made it makes you just absolutely sit there. I'm like, this isn't like a plan since all out, right? That's where I was kind of like looking back at all out because you had after Omega and Paige lost the titles, Omega's walking out, and Kitty's like, I gotta go get this right. And then it, he did. But who's he talking to before he gets in that van and goes presumably talk to Don Callis? He's Talking to the Young Bucks. So this may have been a plan all along. And if it is, the booking for this has been absolutely perfect. Because you see that new edge from the Young Bucks. And now they're heels. Give this all to me and inject it into my veins. I wish there were live crowds for this. Like this is absolutely why I hate this pandemic. Because having fans in the crowd for this show would have been the most kick-ass thing of all time. Full stop. That was probably the best part of Dynamite in a while. I bring up the fact that whenever Kenny turned heel at the end of Dynamite, um, uh, the Winter is Coming show, that was amazing. This was even better because it's another layer to the entire overarching storyline. It's overarching different promotions. Now Kenny Stable has the Impact Tag Team titles, the AEW Tag Team titles. Kenny Omega has the AEW and AAA titles. So who's to say he doesn't try to go for the Impact World title next? Who's to say he doesn't do do X, Y, and Z and bring these other guys into their invasion angle and have this new Bullet Club but not Bullet Club thing. That's where I'm sitting here. I'm like, this was the best thing about pro wrestling this week. The Elite is fully back, and we see this. 2021, man. What a time. But we got to say, NXT did a pretty damn good job as well, putting their show together. Fight Pit was scrapped, apparently, due to an injury to Thim- Timothy Thatcher. Thank goodness it wasn't Tommaso champ after all his injuries that he's suffered over the last few years, especially the neck injury. Seeing it scrapped because of Moore. thatcher it's like, it sucks. But thankfully, it wasn't something like with Ciampa, where if he gets injured again, odds are he might have to hang it up, especially if it's something with his a lingering neck issue. So I'm interested to see how they could do, do this match again going forward. But it's all about Finn Balor, Kyle O'Reilly, match of the night, bar none, and this was so damn good. I was so glad, like, on Wednesday night, I was actually able to be home for the main event, or both at, both Dynamite and NXT, and I watched NXT's main event first, and I sat there like, this was so damn good. It was basically their TakeOver 31 main event, but done again, and done better, like, the the closing shot of Balor with the blood on his face was just such a badass shot. I wish they did more stuff like that. So I think A.W. had overall the better show, but the main event of Finn Balor, Kyle O'Reilly was just so damn strong. Can you make a Phoenix deserves that five stars that it got? I'd say probably a little bit more. I think Finn Balor, Kyle O'Reilly is probably close to five stars for me because it. It could have gone on probably a little bit longer, but it was still so damn good. The last woman standing match was fantastic. And some other stuff from this week in wrestling. SmackDown did something interesting twice. First off, yeah, had Dol- Dolph Ziggler and Bob Rude. They're your new tag team champions on the blue brand, beating the Street Profits. And clean as a whistle at that. So the heels are your champs winning clean as a whistle. And I was blown away by the fact they actually are pulling the trigger on this because I feel like the Street Profits deserve to keep the titles at least until you've got a true, like, great tag team and you put them in there with Street Profits because they have absolutely been, like, the best part of 2020 in tag team wrestling for the WWE. It's been them in the New Day. And Street Profits can put together a phenomenal show from top to bottom. And they are great wrestlers all the way around. But I was surprised at that. But I was even more surprised with the finish of, of the show. First off, you have Shinsuke Nakamura probably being babyface again. And I love the fact they're doing this. It absolutely works with him. And I love the fact they're going to continue to do an angle with Shinsuke Nakamura turning babyface. He was the big star out of the gauntlet match. But he still wound up losing because, well, Adam Pierce was the final combatant for it. But of course, Jey Uso decided to murder Shinsuke Nakamura with a superkick. And Adam Pearce got super kicked as well. I got mean, to give credit to him. The way he sold that was so damn good. He sold it insanely well. And Adam Pearce wound up being dragged over onto the prone body of Shinsuke. And Pearce is now going to be facing Roman Reigns at the Rumble for the Universal title. What a time to be alive where Adam freaking Pearce is in a Royal Rumble title match. After being away for years, the former multiple-time NWA World Champion, Adam Pearce. God, 2021 is wild. Then we get to Wrestle Kingdom Nights 1 and 2. First off, Ibushi is God. And it's so damn good to say Kota Ibushi finally won the titles and didn't lose it the next night. I just sat there like whenever he won the titles at the end of night one, I'm like, okay, he's going to lose it the next night, right? This is where it's going to go. This is the next step in his journey. Him finally hoisting the titles. The chase is over. But the chase starts up again the next night because Jay White was the one that screwed him over and cost him the G1 Climax briefcase. But of course, Obushi wins. He's, he is God. And I love the fact that they... Had this actually happen in 2021, Kota Ibushi finally being champion is amazing. And if that forbidden door of NJPW and AEW gets opened up, we need Ibushi in the Elite. We need that to happen. That way we're going to just have all these guys hold belts. It just will look immediately kick-ass. And I'm hoping we can get that one day. But the other big thing was going to Jay White. Him saying he's leaving. Is it work or a shoot? And I'm just sitting here like, because I believe he had, like, what, a seven-year deal that he signed? Like, I don't think he would have pulled out of that deal unless he knew he was going to get something, like, even more just tremendous. And I was sitting there like, there's no way they're actually going to do this, right? And I was like, okay. And then he cuts the promo, and he looked like an absolutely, like, damn crazy person. It was, like, so damn good. And I just sat there like, okay, he may have had, like, the best week ever in pro wrestling. Because Jay White absolutely crushed it from Jump Street. And I loved it. But what I also loved, this is something I didn't expect to love, was Great Khan His match with Tanahashi was just so damn good. Start to finish, really great show. And both nights were fantastic. But I think Great Okan was the guy who just was like, really? Like, it just sounds like a ridiculous gimmick, calling somebody the Great O'Connor It feels almost like a, a kiss of death in terms of gimmicks. But lo and behold, he became a star at Wrestle Kingdom in that match against Tanahashi. And then he also said Okada, Osprey, which should have been as expected. But I feel like they exceeded all of those expectations. And if it wasn't for the fact Osprey is just a complete ass, I'd probably put this as a very, very high praise. But they put on a banger of a match. I think it definitely is deserving the five stars, but I just wish Osprey wasn't a complete ass clown in real life. And before I wrap up the podcast, let me just throw this log on the proverbial fire. Because after watching, you know, the the Saints game on Nickelodeon, I started to have a lot of nostalgia pop up. And it was for both Nickelodeon and Cartoon Network. And I started thinking about my favorite wrestling related cartoon. And it's Rasslor from Dial M for Monkey. a little semi cartoon. It wasn't was like a full-fledged, like 22-minute show. It was Part of Dexter's lab, if you remember that. But Rassler actually had Macho Man Randy Savage do a guest voice for this character. That was almost like a Galactus or a Thanos, basically saying like, "Every every world that I go fight against, I destroy because if they can't win." That was really cool alone, and then you see Monkey actually being able to save the entire planet. Dial in for Monkey is probably one of my favorite things from Dexter's Lab, but this episode in particular. Was amazing, and I again had the nostalgia flying everywhere yesterday when I was watching the Saints game on Nickelodeon and just remembering, like, and then bring up all the old school references. I just sat there, like, okay, this is this is what it was like when I was a kid. Like, I can remember all this stuff, and I just sat there, like, remembering all these different shows, both on Nickelodeon and Cartoon Network, and I was like, just started thinking about the Rasslore episode and wanted to rewatching it. Still holds up to this day. And also, Randy Savage was like the perfect choice for that because him alone is just a cartoon character in and of itself. That's going to about do it for the Cajun Strong Style Podcast. Make sure you leave us a five-star review, six stars if you're in the Tokyo Dome for the Cajun Strong Style Podcast, 103.7 The Game's exclusive pro wrestling podcast. You can check it out on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, 103.7thegame.com, the free mobile app, and so many other ways. I think the only way you can't listen to us is through the FM dial, and I think on Spotify as well, at least for right now. When we get on Spotify, we will let you know Cause trust me, we want to make sure you listen to us any way, anytime, anywhere, any place. Cause trust me, pro wrestling is what matters most in this world, at least to me. So hopefully, you enjoyed this week's podcast. We'll be back with you next Monday.